You're listening to Therapy for Your Money, a podcast about all things money and finance for therapy practice owners. If you want to feel confident and in control of your financial life, then you've come to the right spot. I'm your host, Julie Harris. I'm an accountant and the owner of Green Oak Accounting. My firm specializes in working with private practices across the U.S., and my team and I have worked with hundreds of private practice owners. I'm on a mission to share all the best practices I've learned along the way because I want you to have a profitable private practice. My new book, Profit First for Therapists, is available at most online retailers. You can get it in paperback, audiobook, or ebook as well. Go check it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Therapy for Your Money. Today, I am chatting with the one and only Nikki Ramirez from HR Answers. Um, Nikki and I, we we host a joint uh, Q&A each month in the group practice exchange. And I must admit, every month I really look forward to that session because first, I always learn something. Um, I also really enjoy Nikki's company. And I also find that our knowledge is really complementary. So I have kind of the the tax and accounting side. Nikki tackles the HR side. And it's just a, a really nice compliment uh, to each other. So Nikki, Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Oh, Julie, thanks for that introduction and thanks for the invitation. The feelings are absolutely mutual. Oh, thank you. All, all the love going on over here. A lot. Um, so Nikki and I are talking today about, uh, this is part two of our series of why your intake coordinator should be a salesperson or why you should think of them as a salesperson. Uh, so last week we talked uh, with Sarah Riley, who is a really a salesperson. So I'm excited to get your HR take on this, Nikki, uh, because you and your team work with a lot, a lot of therapy private practices as well. Um, so let's just jump right in. Like, why do you think this intake coordinator as a salesperson, why this structure can be in service to clients who are seeking therapy? Yeah, that's such a good place to start. So, you know, when we think about organizational structure, we need to ensure that we build positions that help us accomplish our mission, right? And so if we're thinking about the intake coordinator type role as a member of this team serving our larger mission, we need somebody who is attracting and securing business for the practice. So, you know, and that person is someone who is literally there to help us achieve our mission, to get services to the community so that people's well-being is handled. Yeah. And really when someone is calling your practice, mm-hmm. it's because they have a need. They, they're not calling because they're kind of sort of maybe thinking about therapies. Well, maybe sometimes they are, but most of the time there are many steps, like as a consumer of therapy, right? I can tell you, like you have yeah. thought about a lot of different things. Who am, what kind of person am I looking for? What's going to be convenient? Where should I go? Right. All of those things. And so Really, it is in service to the client to actually get them scheduled when they reach out to your practice. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the practice owners that we um, work with and support, they are literally on a mission to help their communities be well. And so a team member that can be that first point of contact that understands that to your really good point, um, most people who are consumers of mental health care do a little bit of research first. They figure out sort of where is the practice located? What is the practice's overarching philosophy and therapy? Mm-hmm. What sort of specialized services might they provide? And so by the time uh, an individual calls and gets this intake coordinator on the phone, 
they are what we are in in the world of sales. We call it a warm lead, right? So therefore, they are (laughs) here. And so they are, you know, it's not like we have, you know, a team of cold callers just out beating the street trying to find new clients. These are people who want help and they've determined that your practice is a great place to start. Yeah, and I definitely think that a cold caller would not do well in this space, right? Like that's not at all, at all what we're talking about. Uh, today, but yeah, you're right. Like that, that it, a warm lead is a really good thing in the world of, um, of sales. Well, so, okay. Why do you think then that a sales minded person could be well suited for this intake position? Yeah. So when we get this person on the phone who already knows that they're interested in mental health care, um, when we have someone who is sales minded in the role, then they will possess a skill set and be able to act on that skill set in order to very quickly build trust and build a relationship that leads to the person on the other end of the line booking a session, booking an intake. So when we have someone who has the ability to identify the the need that the person has expressed, so they're calling mm-hmm. and you know maybe maybe as an example for me, you know, I've called before and said, hey, I'm looking for a place to go to therapy along with my husband. So couples therapy, right? Do you offer that? And they're like, oh, yes, we do. We have a wonderful team of couples therapists to choose from. So they're tuned in to what the caller, the, the you know, the, the potential new client is expressing. And they are then able to identify that absolutely, yes, this is something that we do. And a sales-minded person is then interested and excited to share the service that might be a wonderful match for the person who's called. And that's where the service-minded employee is so valuable to the practice because they have an interest in matching this person up with a service that we get paid for. And that you and I are never shy that we are grateful that people in the mental health industry, that they are out there making money. Like it's 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 an anchor in our communities. It's a valuable service and they deserve to earn a profit. Yes, they should. They absolutely should make money, make a profit. Like there's nothing um, to be, there is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of there. And I think the way you've described that is so interesting because I think of when someone is in solo practice, right? They're just working on their own. They are most often going to be the intake coordinator, right? So they, they approach that phone call from that service mindset of, oh, yes, I absolutely can help you, right? It's often not from a, we just need to get them scheduled. But yes, you are my ideal client. I can, I know I can help you get better. And that comes through. But what, again, just as a consumer, right? So this is my anecdotal experience as a consumer. Like sometimes you will call and it's much more of a transactional conversation versus a service-minded, right? Like what's your insurance? Blah, blah, blah. It's just a cold, uh, almost a cold transaction where it's not about like, how can we actually help? It's just about like checking the boxes and and getting the information. Um, and if I am very honest, I have sometimes called back and said, you know what? Actually, I'm going to cancel that appointment because I don't think that's the that's the right um, yeah. that's the right fit for me, uh, especially not in this industry, right? So, yeah. to your anecdotal advice and experience, yesterday I called because my check engine light came on in my fairly new truck. Mm-hmm. And so I called the dealership and made an appointment and it was, it was friendly, but efficient and transactional. Yeah. I expected nothing different. <laughs> right. You absolutely expect nothing different from the service, uh, you know, the service yeah. at your car dealership. But yep. when you're calling and saying some, you know, I'm having this issue, I need help. That feels also very vulnerable. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 Yep. 
So what kind of skills would a practice owner look for if they're, if they're interested in hiring someone with a, um, who is sales minded? Hi, listeners. Did you know that we have a free KPI resource available for you over at therapyforyourmoney.com slash KPI? This KPI tracker can help you track where your practice stands today and how it compares to other practices the same size. Go to therapyforyourmoney.com slash KPI to get your free tracker. So the skills that we are looking for are ability to be an excellent active listener. Mm -hmm. We are looking for people who are able to quickly task switch between listening to what the individual is sharing and then going and analyzing quickly what services we provide and who provides those services perhaps even in our practice. Mm -hmm. So if someone is calling and asking about a specific type of care, then we are now we're switching to being the person who can go snatch up those details and communicate them back. So we're being great listeners. We're able to task switch quickly. We're, so we're resourceful. We have a, a good eye on you know all of our resources within the business. Um, and then we're able to communicate effectively back to the potential new client what their options are in a way that is influential. So tell me more about that. Way. Yeah. So. Influence, the ability to influence as a person who has sales responsibility on the job is a key component of being successful. And what, you know, if I were advising a practice owner on building out this position and, you know, maybe digging around for interview questions and things like that, I'd be saying, gosh, we need someone who has the ability to influence decision making. Mm -hmm. And we've already said in the beginning, in the opening of this podcast episode, uh, influencing someone to sign up for mental health care it's a really valuable and, you know, what I would almost call just like an honorable exchange. You yeah. know, it's something that people deserve, they need, and gosh, they're on the phone with you. So let's get them lined up. So let's influence them to make the decision to book the intake. Mm-hmm. So influencing yeah. skills um, include the ability to reflect back what someone is saying. So I'm not going to be great at influencing you if I can't express to you that I know exactly what you want. So being a reflective communicator is important. Um, And then the influencing skills also rely on a person who can come off as likable. So we are not often influenced by people who are not viewed as likable. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, So if uh, what what people uh, or what industries are would be complementary for this? Yeah. So, you know, when I'm thinking about hiring an intake coordinator for a role in a mental health practice, I am, you know, potentially looking for someone who does have a background in booking appointments in a service-based industry. So I'm even remembering a time when we snatched up a receptionist who had some sales responsibilities in a really fancy hotel. And this person had just exceptional communication skills. I'll bet. And in that she supported the sales and events team, she had been through some training with a large corporation and they had provided her with insight into what it took to have a great conversation with a lead to keep them on, you know, in the process so that they could 
nurture them down the road so that the sales and event coordinator could actually make the deal, right? Yeah. You know, so we might not find somebody that has industry experience. So they might come from hospitality. Um, They might be someone who comes from a a school. Um, There's another example that I'm thinking of where we have an intake coordinator that worked in a social services department or like community education for a school program. And they were the person who did all the enrollments for the people who were signing up for like summer school enrichment camps. Yeah. So that is kind of a sales-ish position, right? Where Mm -hmm. you're, you're getting, taking, taking, um, converting people into registrants. So interesting. Okay. What else? Yeah. So hospitality, um, community service oriented organizations where there's revenue being generated. Okay. So that, yeah. So there has to be revenue if it's a nonprofit, you know, that's okay. As long as they're doing bookings and taking, you know, um, signing people up to make contributions or donations. Okay. That's another, so a business development team member from a nonprofit might be an excellent snatch. You might be able to find somebody out there. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think those are some of the top three that I would be looking for. You okay. know, I do. I love people who've been trained in high level hospitality for literally any kind of job transition because they are in a position where they have been trained in communication, conflict resolution, um, you know, just the the general soft skills that make for a, a great intake coordinator or just any kind of great service professional. So if you can find someone that has worked in, like, you know, a nice Marriott or Ritz-Carlton, something yes. like that, you could probably train them to do any job. They're going to have a soft skill set that's probably second to none. Um, yep. What about someone coming from maybe a call center or something along those lines? Yeah, you know, I don't think it's a bad fit as long as the individual is um, interested in nurturing relationships along with these, you know, booking the intakes. So when we are, ha- when we find that candidates are coming from a call center type environment, whether it's inbound calls or or they're cold calling, um, those are really high volume activities. And so although we want our practice owners to have high volume in their practice, the goal is to qualify the right people mm, okay. um, to, to establish a long-term relationship, not just book the next call, get an appointment scheduled or take, you know, take the money on that call. So call center environment is much more hustle bustle, much more focused on getting the task completed than getting a new long-term client signed up. And we know from a profitability perspective, we want our practices to have retention in place that helps them to be profitable. Yeah. So if the call center, uh, if the person who's coming to us with call center experience is able to, during the interview and selection process, express to us and demonstrate that they have the ability to nurture long-term professional relationships, um, then that's, you know, that would be a key indicator that they might be a good fit. Okay. So when we're thinking of resumes coming in, what are some of the specific things that you would be looking on for on those resumes? Yeah. So I do, of course, love when people have industry experience. So wow, wouldn't that be fantastic if someone came to you, right? Okay. Check that off. That's like our unicorn, right? Um, But I'm just generally speaking, I do think that people who have demonstrated longevity in any position come to the top of the pile. So let mm. me just say that first. It doesn't matter what job you held for four years. If you've held a job for four years, I probably want to talk to you. Okay. When we're screening for this intake coordinator type role, 
you know, I do want to kind of hold out and find a person that has demonstrated experience communicating one-on-one with potential clients or people who may do business with the company. So that could, again, this could be in a lot of different roles, industries, et cetera. But I want to I want to entertain speaking with people who have experience with the public in a way okay. that, that encourages them to come in and do business. Um, so what are some items that could be included in a job description to find the right kind of person? Yeah. So we're going to try to find some key language that loops back to the attributes that we talked about that we were looking for. Mm-hmm. So if I'm looking for someone who um, has the ability to quickly build trust and connection with potential new clients, I want to say that in the job posting. And then I want to also design interview questions that help me discover how the person has done that. Um, aside from that, in a job posting, you know, I really am trying to impress upon this potential new employee or applicant um, that we have a set of values in our business. And those mm. values are probably linked to job expectations. So I'm probably expressing those. So, for example, if, um, you know, communication is a value in at my practice, then I might be including in the job posting a note about that specifically because now we've identified that from a job design perspective, skills and attributes, communication is central to success as an intake coordinator. And, of course, I'm going to tell people that they have to have a genuine interest in helping us build the practice. So I am looking for someone to join our practice who has a genuine interest in helping us expand and grow and serve more members of our community through booking appointments, through scheduling new intakes. I love that. But how do you measure that in an interview? Because everyone will say, yes, I absolutely have a genuine interest in building the practice. Like, How do you know if they're truthful, if they actually can do it? Yeah. So truthful... I think most, you know, and this is just me and how I approach employment and interviews. I think people mostly tell the truth, but they, you know, they're telling their most shiny version of the truth. Yes. So, so the most say, beautiful okay. part. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're like, yeah, of course, I'm super excited to help you build the practice. Um, so, yeah. So their answer is, yes, I can do that. And the key to the most effective screening in this case, then, is going to be to engage in a behavioral interview series. So I, if I am looking for someone who gets excited about booking appointments and is excited about helping us expand and grow this practice, then I'm going to ask a question such as, you know, okay, Julie, you know, I'm so glad to hear that you're excited about helping us grow the practice. Tell me about a time that you were engaging in, you know, trying to book an appointment for your sales team at your last job, and then the person called and canceled. What did you do in mm. follow-up? Okay. So you, you know, as the, and I'm thinking about my receptionist again from the sales team. Yeah, she, yeah. She booked the appointments for the sales team and then someone would call and cancel their appointment with the sales team and she would call them back and she would talk to them and see if she could get them rebooked. Got so it. we didn't okay. just let it fall off. Her job, part of her job description was to follow up on canceled appointments. That was a task that she had. And that's part of nurturing relationships long term. And, you know, this intake coordinator type role needs to be able to express to people that whether it's today or next week or even a month down the road, we still want to hear from you. And yeah. so they're, you know, so we, we want to ask people about their experiences dealing with um, clients who seemed confused or didn't know what to select. 
you know, how did you help them make a final decision? Mm -hmm. Um, People that don't want to book, it's okay to ask them, uh, you know, ask them a question too. So now what I've actually shifted to doing, Julia is actually telling you about an ideal answer. Okay. So, (laughs) so if I want someone on the phone, my intake coordinator who can, you know, seal the deal here and book this intake, I want someone on the phone who, when the client says, or the potential new client says, you know what, I guess I'm not really that interested that they have the wherewithal and it doesn't feel icky for them to say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Can you please tell me why? Yeah. So, you know, so there's a lot that goes into the skill set. There's a lot that goes into the day to day. Um, So for a practice owner who's really trying to develop a successful intake coordinator position that does focus on a sales component to the job design, you know, I think it would be really important for them to take a deep dive analysis into the job um, duties, the tasks, and how they have seen their team have success with intake and then build an interview process even around that. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, work to do in the ecosystem to build a great intake coordinator position and then put the, you know, put your screening, your credentials and screening process together, interview and finally select. But, you know, it goes, I think, without saying for between the two of us anyway, that for the intake coordinator role to really be successful and help a practice stabilize and or grow, we have to have someone who on the phone um, and in email communications is not shy about mm-hmm. encouraging people to really you know, book that appointment. Don't, you know, don't cancel on us. Come on back. You know, all that. We're yeah. really planting seeds for people to get the support that they deserve. What I'm hearing from you also is um, a respectful persistence. Uh, so not, not not someone who's pushy, but who's just respectfully going to say, like, but wait a second, what's actually mm-hmm. going on, right? Or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to shift to, to uh, another question I have for you. Typically in the industry, the intake coordinator is either hourly or salaried. So if we were hiring or trying to hire someone who's a lot more sales minded, how do you structure, how, how do you recommend that we structure that compensation? Yeah. So when we have an intake coordinator position that we've determined, um, you know, is going to, we're going to talk about it, right? Like this is, yeah. there's a sales component to this yes. job. It's okay. Yep. I would love to see some incentives built into the the package. So whether a practice determines that they want to pay hourly or salaried, you know, what we'll want to do is say, okay, let's take that, um, you know, the the salary that someone might want to earn for a year. And let's just like peel that back a little bit and put a bonus structure in place or an incentive, you know, commission structure in place on top of it. So if I'm trying to, you know, hire an intake coordinator and I believe that their salary or their income for the year might be $50,000 for the year, you know, maybe their salary is $40,000. And on top of that, they have a potential to earn an additional $10,000 based on the number of intakes that they're able to book. Um, you know, there, there, could, there could be other components to an incentive program too. For example, the ability to call back and book previous clients. You know, mm, certain, okay. at certain times, client, uh, our clients, practices, will go on like recovery missions and just give a phone call to the people who haven't been back in a long time. So maybe there are, it's not a brand new intake but it's a returning client that they were able to encourage to return. Got it. And I've done enough Q&A calls with you to know there's an asterisk always to the 
you know, the base salary. You have to look at your state. It depends on minimum wage and, 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 and like Nikki and I do all the time. Like you have to check on the legalities where you can't just say, I'm going to give you $25,000 a year Mm -mm. plus a commission. Like there's in most places that will not fly. Um, But I I do love that idea where there's there's a a financial reason to go and accomplish Mm -hmm. a thing that we want them to accomplish. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, I do take to heart that generally speaking in the medical industry, well, in the mental mental health medical industry, it's been sort of the common philosophy has been we don't really want to incentivize people for, you know, booking or, you know, give people tons of commissions or incentives for providing mental health care. Um, In other medical industries, that's the standard, like chiropractic. Like that is a very big, you know, that's an anchor to the business model that the people who are doing the work, they're, they're earning some heavy incentives, uh, you know, at large. And I think it's just because our mental health practitioners are so darn loving and caring. They're like, yes. we just want to pay everyone all the money that we can. Why would we, <laughs> and why would we have to give bonuses? But it is common in other related industries. And I also, you know, just want to you put it out there that as the workforce has continued to ebb and flow and grow and change over the years, um, people are not shy anymore about saying how motivated they are by money. Mm-hmm. And now it's a much more, I feel like it's a much more open conversation where employees are coming to us and saying in HR and in business leadership, you know, thanks so much for this great hourly rate and salary. And you know, it'd be great if I could earn some more money. I'd love to work hard for a bonus. It's just, yeah. maybe we've, maybe we've been raised this way. I don't know what it is, but uh, I don't, I don't shy away from encouraging people to think about a little bit of a carrot in any industry for any job. And in some ways I feel like that it is a gift for people to actually say that to you. And then you just, then you know, right. They don't want gifts. They don't want your words of affirmation or appreciation. They want cold, hard cash. And like, that's a good thing to know. Yeah. That this is the thing that's going to show them you appreciate them. Exactly. Um, Nikki, I ask all of our podcast guests, what is your favorite business book and why? My favorite business book. Or business adjacent? I'm an HR person. So my favorite business book is Emotional Agility by Susan David. <laughs> so Perfect. I use this book in conversations with leaders and employees, and it has really informed actually the way that I lead my team. So the subtitle is Get Unstuck, Embrace Change, and Thrive in Work and Life. And so I think that emotional agility, I mean, it's just such a fabulous framework to think about how to deal with adversity. Mm-hmm. And it is the whole foundation of the book is you're going to go through some stuff and you can get through it. I love that. And that that feels like a very Nikki answer to me also. <laughs> I feel like that's very appropriate. Uh, Nikki, thank you so much for this conversation. You and your team work with many practice owners. So if a listener is interested in finding more about the work that you and your team do at HR Answers, where can they find you? Yeah. Yeah. We are on the web at hranswers.org, of course. So hranswers.org. And to find me on social media, you will find me on LinkedIn as Nikki Ramirez. So yeah, I would love to connect on LinkedIn. And if folks are looking for a little bit of extra HR support, we are here for that. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for the invitation, Julie. It's been nice chatting with you. 
If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a quick shout out. We really appreciate it. The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest's general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice.